Let's read from God's Word, and we return uh, to John's Gospel. Uh, Before Christmas, before Advent, we were in chapter 9, and now we're in chapter 10. This is God's Word, chapter 10. We're going to read to verse 21. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And we end our reading there. That's verse 21. We thank God. For his word. Lord, in a world that is messy and broken and dirty and sinful, it's hard to see much glory going to Christ. And we pray that as a church, as families within the church, with individuals within the families within the church, we will be a people who will glorify Jesus all the time. Help us to understand how we might do that today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.
So, who is Jesus? That's the big question we keep asking when we come to John's gospel. Is Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, or is Jesus a sinner, a liar, a fraud, as the Pharisees believed? Well, the blind beggar in chapter 9, you can remember back to the end of November, the blind beggar healed by Jesus in John 9, had to deal with that question. Eventually, Jesus came to him and said in verse 35, do you believe in the Son of Man? And verse 38, he replies, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So that's the question we keep coming back to in in John's gospel. Who is Jesus? Is he the Messiah or is he a madman? That's again the question of chapter 10 that we're going to try and tease out. Because if he's a sinner and a madman, well then, he's just like us in many ways, and we can reject him, but if he is the Messiah, because he is the Messiah, we need to accept him. So John 10 gives us some more pictures of who he is, and what kind of Savior, Messiah, he really is. Now, as part of the introduction, we've got to understand we live in a dangerous and chaotic world, don't we? And we can, as we get older, become more cynical about the world, and we're kind of tempted just to to give up and say, oh, that's the way things are going to be. And some are beginning to wonder, you know, what, what are we bringing our children into in this world? I mean, it is rotten. What hope do our children have? What future is there for the world? What future is there for the church within the world? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to be? These are the questions sometimes we ask. Can I suggest to you that Jesus is the reason that we should have hope and optimism even in this bleak, dark, cold, broken world? And Jesus is the reason why we should be active in the world in the evangelism. And John 10, I think, helps us understand why that is the case. In verses 1 to 6, Jesus introduces the idea of leadership. And that's why I I didn't go for the good shepherd. I just say our beautiful leader, because we're given a picture of of a leader. And he draws the difference between true and false shepherds in verses 1 to 6. And then in verses 7 to 18, Jesus introduces two pictures of himself. I'm sure you picked them up. I am the gate, or I'm the door for the sheep, and then I am the good shepherd. And then finally, in verses 19 to 21, we see the responses of the people of that day and every day, and even the response of people in this building today. So the message really is not about uh, gates and sheep. It's actually about Jesus, but he uses gates and sheep to illustrate. Illustrations are so helpful, aren't they? Of course, the image of shepherds and sheep is important because I don't think you have to be, have any kind of knowledge of the country life to know that sheep by themselves would simply not survive. And certainly is the case back in the wilderness days of Israel. Unless the true shepherd provided pasture and security, they would die. So in verses 1 to 6, Jesus is teaching us about shepherds and, and sheep. And, and he's contrasting between the, 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 the Pharisees of chapter 9 and how they dealt with that poor man who was blind for most of his life with good leaders, good shepherds 
that actually God provides for his church, that Jesus provides for his church. If you want some homework, you can read about those in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, 1 Peter 5, 1 to 5. In Ephesians 4, this is what Paul writes, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people. See, God provides shepherds for us. So the contrast here in these easy early verses of chapter 10 are, are between the true and false shepherds. So this is what I thought of, an illustration. He's, he's giving us an illustration of a true leader in these first six verses. It's a kind of a story, isn't it? I, I get a, a feel of a parable in these verses. Now, we haven't a lot of time to think about it, but he describes the shepherd. And in verse 2, he says, he knows his sheep, for instance. He knows his sheep. A true shepherd is not a stranger, verse 5. He doesn't climb over the wall, verse 1. He enters the gate, verse 2. You notice that? The man who enters the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. Now, soon we're going to learn about who the gate is, and soon we're going to learn about who the the great shepherd, the good shepherd is, but at the, at the moment, he's simply defining a, a good leader, a good shepherd. But that's verse 2. He knows his sheep. Verse 3, he calls his sheep by name. Now, why would he do that? I don't know. I mean, David's here this morning. I don't know, David, do you know your sheep by name? <laughs> you probably know them by number or if you know them at all, but but, but I, I mean, listen, I, I grew up on a farm. You know, we, we, there were freeze-branded numbers on the on the the rear end of the cow. So it was number 62, <laughs> not Daisy. But, but why does he call a sheep by name? Because he knows them, because they belong to him. Now, what happened back in those days is that shepherds brought their flocks to one central sheepfold every night. It was a roofless enclosure with a high wall to keep predators away, and thieves away, and only one entrance. And in the morning, each of the shepherds would come and actually call their flock out by name and lead them off for the day because they are his. Now, again, see how Jesus is laying the ground for his teaching on being the good shepherd? He's saying that a true leader, a good shepherd, is somebody who calls his sheep by name. And in verse 4, he leads his sheep and they follow Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. So nowadays, uh, shepherds drive their sheep from field to field or whatever. Back then, and still is the case in the Near East, the shepherd went ahead of the flock, alert to danger, leading them to green pastures and, and quiet waters, as Psalm 23 tells us. So we've got this illustration here of a, of a shepherd he knows his sheep, he calls his sheep personally by name, and he leads his sheep to safe water and to pasture. You get in the picture? That's a picture of Jesus. Not these Pharisees who really didn't care about their people, or didn't know their people, or didn't lead their people. But Jesus knows us. The Bible says before we're born, he knows us. Jesus calls us. Calls us to what? As we will see in a moment or two, he calls us to salvation. 
And Jesus leads us to what? To spiritual provision. He really is the good shepherd. And he's so unlike the false shepherds, these Pharisees. Look, by the way, how they're described. We haven't a lot of time to spend on verse 1. They're described there as thieves and robbers. And verse 5, they're described there as strangers. Also in verse 12 and 13, Jesus says they don't care. So there's no deep knowledge, no calling personally by name, no leading to safety and security, just strangers, just stealing, just destroying That's what false leaders do all the time. And so I think we can work it out. Sheep are safe with true shepherds, yes? Sheep are unsafe with false shepherds, yes? Conclusion, sheep need to be careful who they follow where they follow, and how they follow. You can follow a false shepherd and end up in a heap of trouble. Jesus is preparing the way for his teaching about himself in verses 7 to 18. It all seems so obvious, doesn't it? I mean, I'm sure... Again, don't need to know the passage well. We don't even need to know about shepherding and sheep very well. But you think we would understand, or they would understand, what Jesus was getting at. But look at verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. They didn't get the figure of speech. They didn't get the illustration. So what does Jesus do? Does he just abandon them and say, okay, you're thick and ugly. I'm going to go away to someone else? No, no. He says in verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. He goes from an illustration to an invitation. And now this is the invitation from the true leader. So he's not just talking generally about leaders or shepherds. He's talking about the true leader. And he's saying, I am the gate for the sheep. In other words, and this is the thing I want you to remember, come through me. Come to God through me. That's the big thing here. Come through me. And so I ask you this question. In this year that lies ahead, 2024, do you want safety and salvation and security and satisfaction? Do you want that personally? Then there's only one who will give that to you. His name is Jesus. What about for your family? What about for your children? Are you concerned about them? How they're going to end up? How the world is stealing them and destroying them? The only hope they have is Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's the gate for the sheep? That we must come through him? Do you believe that for yourself? Do you believe that for your children? Thieves and robbers continually steal from us our joy, our peace, our satisfaction, and they steal our children from us. One of the things that, that I struggle with in ministry is seeing children being swallowed up by the world, destroyed by the world. 
And I know some of you parents, you share that burden because the world has false answers and false hopes. Verse 8, all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. But look at Jesus. Look, look, look what he, the gate for the sheep, gives to people like you and me. Salvation, verse 9. Do you see that? I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Salvation. Entry into saving faith. Entry into the very presence of God. Entry into eternal life. The Bible is clear where many are so very confused. We, by nature, are separated from God because of our sin, because of our sins, because of our rebellion. A barrier exists between us and God. And that's why Paul writes, for all have sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3. But notice again what Jesus says. There's so much in these Quite honest, I wish I was preaching five times in this passage, or four anyway, rather than once. But notice what he says there, I am the gate. Again, I am is the name of God, Yahweh. So, so he's basically saying here is, I and no one else is the gate for the sheep. I and I alone am a gate for the sheep. And notice the word me there in verse 9. Whoever enters through me, just me, a single entrance, a single Savior. See, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's not complicated, is it? It's a gate. And the gate is him, his cross and his resurrection. Now, if Jesus said, I am a high wall you have to climb over, that would be difficult, wouldn't it, for us to comprehend and to do because many of us couldn't climb a high wall. Or if Jesus had said, I am a marathon run, most of us probably wouldn't even be able to get past the first part of that run. Or if Jesus said, I am a long, dark tunnel, that would be scary. But Jesus says, I am a gate. I am the gate. See, religion, of course, tries to complicate things. Religion will introduce a thousand hoops to jump through, add on man-made extras, and maybe you were brought up in that kind of environment a high wall, a marathon run, a long tunnel. Jesus is the gate, the gate for the sheep. He leads us, he saves us. Can I say something here? I don't think you can honestly read the Bible and not see it. I mean, can you? Can you honestly read the Bible and not see that? You cannot honestly sit under the preaching of the Bible and not understand it. He is the gate. And of course, it's not just salvation, it's security. At the end of verse 9, uh, he will come in and go out. 
safe inside the fold or the pen, secure out in the pasture. Now, that he will come in and go out. You may be familiar with that, particularly in the Psalms. It comes from a Hebrew phrase of going about our, um, our, our business, our daily business, our going out and our coming in. Psalm 121, for instance. It's the idea of everyday living, security for us, and security. I'm thinking today, I'm thinking today a wee bit more about our children, security for our children. Security. Beginning of this year, are we anxious, uncertain, lonely, upset, weak? Confidence comes from Him. Security is in Him. Our coming in and our going out. And then satisfaction. Um, verse, the end of verse 9, and find pasture. In Christ and under His Lordship, we're, we're fed, spiritually fed. That's why it's important to be here as often as we can. It's, it's so important that we study our Bibles in, in groups or families or individually. I, I suppose the cry from our hearts today should be, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. And feed on him. And in that great verse, verse 10, uh, fullness of life, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He wants you to experience fullness. You know, he's not... He's not happy when you're miserable or empty. I wonder, are you experiencing fullness in Christ? Because the shepherd, the gate, wants you to. Are you finding life hard and just the routine, just boring and dull? And the temptation is to chase after false answers that end up also just causing a cycle of despair and dissatisfaction. You see, many, sadly, are the victims of the thief. And maybe even here today, you know, you're, the thief has whispered into your hearts and minds, do this and you will be satisfied. And you've, you've said, yes, I will. And he's told you a lie. Notice where the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You see, Satan's design is simple. It's perverted, it's diabolical, but it's also very simple. And it works, you see, it works. There's a progression. You see in those three words? First, he steals. You can almost see it when we're caring for our young people. Just little by little, he steals, he steals, he steals them from us and from the gospel and from the church. And then he kills them spiritually. And he's not even just happy with that. He just wants to destroy. That's what the world will do to you. And to your children. And I say, if you're not in Christ today, if you've not gone through the gate 
you've got to see the danger you are in. Because the one who you're following is one who is aiming to steal and kill and destroy. Now, I'm not ranting and raving today. I'm fired up. I feel it. This is not the ranting and the raving of a madman at the front here. These are the words of Jesus. Satan hates you, despises you, and wants to destroy you. Jesus wants you to have full life. Super abundant life. Not just in 2024, but right throughout the rest of your life and into eternity. An excessively superior life. That's what he wants to give you. Life to the full, verse 10. Jesus said, enter the narrow gates, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Matthew 7, have you entered that gate yet? Have you entered the right gate, the only gate? Jesus, I am the gate for the sheep. Come through me. Come through me. But then he says, come follow me because I am the good shepherd. The invitation continues in verses 11 to 18. Notice again, I am, again using God's name. But notice the use of good. I am the good shepherd. Now, there's many words that Jesus could have used for the word good, but here he used one particular word that means beautiful, excellent, preeminent. It means he has absolutely no rivals. Now, we're tempted to think he's got rivals, but there are none. He is superior to all others. Now, these would have been shocking words. I am the good shepherd. These would have been shocking words to his original hearers, because in Jewish thinking, who was the shepherd of Israel? Let's see if we can... um, let me get an idea. Who do you think the shepherd of Israel was in the thinking of the, of the Jews? I'll give you a clue. He was a king. David. David was seen to be the good shepherd, the writer of Psalm 23, which we're going to sing in a few moments' time. And so when, David, or when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, do you know what he was saying? I'm greater than David. Now, that was a smack in the face to the Jews because Jesus has been doing this right through John's gospel. Do you remember he said, I am the bread of life? He's basically, in chapter 6, he's basically saying, I'm greater than Moses. And in chapter 8, when he says, before Abraham was born, I am, he was saying, I'm greater than Abraham. And now in chapter 10, he's saying, I'm superior to, to David. Infinitely elevated beyond anybody else and everybody else and anything else. Because I am, because he is God. And look what I'll do there at at verses. We've only time to look at some of this. Verse 11 and verse 15. Do you see that there? I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Voluntarily, Jesus dies. Not an accident, not a mistake. What we're going to remember very shortly in the the Lord's Supper, the turning point of history, the plan before the creation of the world, the very reason that Jesus came in the flesh, 
He did not lose his life. He gave his life. He was not killed. He chose to die. The cross was not thrust upon him. He willingly accepted it for us as our substitute. Notice, for the sheep in your place and in mine, he sacrificed himself. What a Savior he is. I want you to know this morning, as I need to tell myself over and over again, we are loved. We matter to him. We are significant to him. And he shows it by dying for us. Christianity is not a religion. It's really a relationship with God. Do you know him? Does he know you? Verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. In other words, he's speaking of one church of Jesus Christ, redeemed Jews, redeemed Gentiles, one flock, one shepherd, one Savior. But let's conclude, because we don't want to rush the table. Look at what happens, and we might say the conclusion, these responses. Again, verse 19, there is division. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Look what Jesus does. You know, think about it. He, he reveals him again, who he is. He, he, he makes it nice and simple with, with word pictures that everybody could understand. He speaks of redemption again. He offers them a relationship with God again. He declares his willingness to rescue again. And despite it all, many have their minds closed. Verse 20, many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad, why listen to him? And of course, I'm sure you have, as I have heard, throughout the generation, throughout your history of your life, you've heard people say that. I remember, uh, I used to do an RE class. I'm going off, shouldn't really do this, but I remember doing an RE class way, way back in the day in, in, in and Day College. And this young girl sat and she listened very gently. And I, I thought, oh, she seems to be with me here. <laughs> We're talking about Jesus. And I said, what, what do you think of Jesus? And this vicious turning. And she said, he's clearly raving mad. That's all she said. Never spoke again the rest of the term. And that's the attitude of so many, isn't it? He's raving mad. But sheep, listen, verse 21. But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So what would you do at the beginning of this new year? Well, if you're unsaved, then you believe and you receive. You believe and you receive. Now, if you don't understand what that means, then come and talk to us afterwards. We'll be glad to explain it to you. If you're a drifter, if 2023 and maybe 2022, and in fact, you could go back 10 years, it's been a time of drifting, drifting, drifting then it's time to return through the gate to the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the beautiful shepherd. Altogether lovely, the excellent one, the perfect one, the only one. And in this chaotic world where there's war and violence all around us, where there's distractions and addictions galore, where there's an uncertain future for us, 
where there's danger for us and for our children. There's grounds for being optimistic and to be faithful. And it's all bound up in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the gate, come through me. I am the shepherd, come follow me. Come through me, come follow me. Protection and provision for life and forever. Now, I suppose you might say, Alistair, that's a lovely theory. Heard it before. But does it work in reality? Does it work in reality? The answer is, yes. And I want to tell you a wee story just before we finish. It's about a man called Sammy. And I've got permission to tell you the story. Sammy's married to Gloria. Neither of them are members here, but actually they listen to our services online. They're even listening today. So I'm going to wave to Sammy. Hello, Sammy and Gloria. They're Linda Lundy's mom and dad. And they're residents in a local nursing home. Sammy asked me to call during the week. And before I could even get sitting down, he says, I want to be saved. That rarely happens. But when it happens, I'm blown away. The Holy Spirit drew him to that conviction. So after going through the issues of his sin and the issue of salvation, Sammy received salvation. You see, it's not just theory. It's reality. Sammy came through the gate and is now following the shepherd. But what about you? What about you? Jesus is the gate. And Jesus is the good shepherd. Let's come through him. And let's follow him. Not just now, but forevermore. I'm glad to talk to you about any of these things after the service. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for stories like Sammy's. And we know there are many here today who could say amen. That's my story. We pray that all of us will hear the good news of a beautiful shepherd who's also the gate so that we might come through Jesus to God and that we might follow hard after Jesus. Bless us, Lord. Help us to understand. May your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us, we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen.